Welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. I'm Richard Nichols. And today on the show, we're talking about complaining to the bank. Now, we had a very interesting text come in. Here's the quote. Unhappy with bank, can we make a complaint? Ask Michelle at Catalyst about our stress. <laughs> now, Andrew, why are we talking about making complaints to the bank? Well, I guess sometimes stuff goes wrong, particularly when human beings are involved because we make mistakes. Well, when I say we, I mean people like you, Ed, not me. And today we're going to tell a story about some investors who we worked with uh, where the bank messed up and they want to know the process to make a formal complaint and whether or not it's even worth doing. And actually, when I read the topic today, it did jog my memory of A, a story of one of my investors that I worked with here at Opus, and then B, one of my one of my clients a long, long time ago at the BNZ. So I'll tell you about all of those. So let me tell you the story from this investor, and then Andrew will take us through how you go about making a complaint and what you're potentially going to get out of it, what your different options are. So here's the setup. This investor had two properties that both had their mortgages with Westpac. Now, she had another property being built in Christchurch and she was working with one of our team to buy a fourth investment property. So she's been listening to the podcast, obviously a podcast listener will be hearing this, and she got it in her head. What did she want, Andrew? Split banking. Yeah, just like everybody else, wanted to split banks, knew it was the right thing. So she's working with a mortgage broker, Michelle from Catalyst, who has actually been on the podcast before when she was talking about the earn baby earn strategy as part of a case study Sunday. So here she is, our investor is ready to start applying for split banking. And she applies to take one of the properties she's already got with Westpac, take that lending and drop it over with ANZ. With that first property, ANZ didn't accept it because it's commercial. It's got 10 units on one specific title. Okay, fine. Let's do it with one of the other properties. Sweet. So we take that, try and put it with ANZ, and we submit that bank application at the start of April. Okay? A month and a half later, by mid-May, still haven't heard back. And bear in mind that this is a pretty simple refinance. This is less than 80% LVR, good servicing. This should be easy, but a month and a half later, still haven't heard back from ANZ. So what do we do? Ring, 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 ring. We're getting on the phone. Talk to the manager. Now, it turns out this is really unfortunate. and This is kind of not the bank's fault. But the guy who was dealing with that property at ANZ unexpectedly left three days ago and left the bank. That old chestnut. Oh, do you reckon that's a lie? No, no, I'm just joking. Well, it sounded quite, I mean, maybe I should use that more as an excuse. Oh, no, I yeah, sorry. Jake's left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't use that to me. I can see Jake from my desk. So anyway, we get to Queen's birthday weekend. So this is two months after the original application was submitted to move this across. And the approval comes through. But now, what's the issue? Here's the big issue. They waited two months. There was a two-month gap between when the application was submitted and when the approval came through, but property prices have dropped. Now, when you would split bank in this way, you're going to try and take as much debt across from Westpac, in this instance, across to ANZ. Now, at the current property price, because the value had dropped slightly, that mortgage application looked like it was 85%, and 85% LVR. difference. Well, the big difference there is that the bank wanted to charge what's called a low equity fee of $4,000. 
because now it's a low deposit loan. It's less than 20% deposit. The loan is above 80% of the value. Now, of course, the investors don't want to do that. So they just didn't take as much debt across to Westpac. But the real issue here from a banking perspective and a complaints perspective is because it took two months and the market went against the investor, that is where they weren't able to take across as much debt as they otherwise would have. Now, that is not the end of it. It never is. It, I, I, do you know, there's some investors that I work with, they'll be listening to the show, and I did a case study on them not so long ago, and coming up to their settlement of their second investment property, it was just diabolical. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And I said to them, the unfortunate thing is, one thing doesn't happen poorly for every person, 10 things happen to one person, and you're that person this time around. Yeah, and I think it's important to share this, just so people can get an understanding of some of those things that can go wrong in property investment. Now, at the end of the day, these investors are going to get it all sorted. And over a 15-year period, they've got to do very well out of this, or they're very likely to do well out of it. But there is some stress that can be caused, especially when dealing with the banks. So let's come back to these investors we're talking about. Their property that they were building in Christchurch, the new build, they had an approval for that. But then they submit the bank application and the bank takes a bit long and they say that the registered valuation is now too old. It's seven months no. old. Because usually six months is how long a period that a registered valuation would be kind of live or acceptable for. But when the application was submitted, sweet, we're within that six-month time frame. By the time it gets approved because the bank took too long, they say you need to get another one because it's not within that six months anymore. So they go get a new valuation. And then what happens when you want to become a client of a new bank, Andrew? You've got to discharge your mortgage from one bank and take it to the new bank. That's true. It wasn't what I was going for. That is true. Well, that's what happens. Well, I was talking about AML verification, so anti-money laundering. So if you want to go and have a relationship with a new bank, you basically have to go into the branch, sign your life away, flash your passport, flash your driver's (laughs) license. A lot of flashing going on to get into the bank. (laughs) So they go there, they do that, takes it out, and... Michelle, the mortgage broker, gets all of the loan docs in place, submits them. Now, ANZ, this is where it gets real bad, says, no. What do you mean? Well, what what happens was all of the application was within the trust. So these investors had a trust and they had applied for the mortgage to come under the trust. The bank only approved it in their own names. So they said, we'll lend you the money, but not the trust. Wasn't the security already in the trust? Bound to be. So it would have been, they would have signed the contract into the trust, or it could have been they signed it in their own names and or nominee. But obviously they're they're doing this to settle it because this is a new investment property. Right, right, right. Okay. So then, even though it was all submitted correctly, the application with the trust stocks, those investors then had to go into the branch for AML a second time. How long do you think it took them to verify all of the trusts? An hour. Four hours. Four <laughs> hours. Outrageous. Four hours. It took half a day to verify a trust when they're already verified. When they'd already submitted all of the docs. Outrageous it was. So look, these guys justifiably feel a bit miffed with the blue <laughs> bank, with the big bank. And so now they want to make some complaints. Why and did we already name the, the bank? No, yeah, it was ANZ. Oh God, okay. Come no, on. I talked to I talked to um to the mortgage brokers. They said it'd be fine if we named and shamed. Okay, is it? Sure. Well, Let's Vanessa wasn't at work today, so yeah. 
That's the truth. So how would somebody go about making a complaint in this instance? How do they kick up a fuss? Okay. First of all, you've got to ask yourself, what do you want out of the complaint? Do you want an apology? Do you want some sort of compensation? Do you just want to make sure it doesn't happen again to other people? And just remember that human beings are involved, mistakes happen, that's just one of those things. But you do need to kind of be pretty clear on what you want to get out of it. You don't just want to have a whinge. Now, the first step is you do have to find out what the bank's complaint process is, and that's available to you freely at any time. So you can usually find it on their website or there'll be a number you can call. Now, the first step is to call the bank and tell them that you're unhappy. So you basically give them an expression of dissatisfaction. I'm going to start using that term with you, buddy. No, and that's the formal term because that's where they have to legally record it in their systems. And I think it's quite important that you use this term so that they know that you are informed of what the process is. And I'll come back to some of my investors in a minute who had a similar situation and the bank just wouldn't acknowledge it. And so they have to record it in their system. And legally then, they've got 72 hours to respond. Now, in this case... The branch said, hey, look, this AML thing was a bit bad. We'll give you a $200 lunch voucher to say sorry for the four hours that you spent doing AML. So not bad, you know, you spent four hours doing AML, but now you get to go out to King of Snake for lunch. What are you talking about? It's $25 an hour between the two of them. Well, that's actually a good point. Hard to please, aren't you, Edward Christian McKnight? Well, I suppose, though, it's $25 an hour, and they wouldn't have had to pay tax on it. Yeah. Loophole. <laughs> yeah, okay, great. You've cracked You've cracked the wealth loophole. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a Prezi card so I could go for lunch. Okay, option two is ask for compensation. Now, in this case, the investors had additional legal costs because the approval took so long. So the bank actually gave them compensation of, Two and a half thousand dollars, and normally branch managers and regional managers will have discretions of how much they can give for compensation. So ask to speak to a manager so that you can see how much wiggle room you've got there. The third and final stage or option, if you don't get a satisfactory response, you go to the banking ombudsman. Dun dun dun. Yeah. So now these are a regulatory body who will actually assist in getting an outcome that's to everyone's satisfaction or dissatisfaction, as the case may be. And it's really interesting. I'll jump back to my story back at the BNZ. I remember, so I was 18 at the BNZ, and I remember, say, you'll like this one, Ed, you and I are a couple. Yay! Now, we split up. No! And I go in and say, hey, look, I need to update my bank statement so they don't go to the house anymore because I've moved out. I'm sick of them. And so, completely plausible. And then they change my address. What, that we're a couple? That I'm sick of you. And then what happens is you'd always select who was there in the branch. And so, if you push yes, yes, that both of us are here, it will also update your address. Right, so I go in, update it. Now, what happens is Mr's left, Mrs gets the bank statement and opens it up and she she banks with BNZ as well, so it's none the wiser. She didn't sneak through his mail. Or you can't prove it anyway. Prove it. And so open it up and say, holy hell, he's making a lot more money than he was when we were together and now goes for extra child support. <laughs> anyway, very unhappy when he found out about this because she texted him and said, you basically you need to pay me more child support. And so, of course, they were going straight to the bank ombudsman. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. There we go. And I remember my branch manager saying, we're going to lose this. We just need to pay them $5,000 in compensation. 
So at that stage, you know, the ombudsman, basically, if, if you found at fault, you paid $5,000 and whatever amount to the person making the complaint. So you just pay $5,000 straight off the bat. Yeah, well, that's the important thing to note is any claim that the ombudsman picks up, whether the bank is successful or not, or no matter who wins, my understanding is the bank still has to pay the ombudsman for researching that claim. Yeah, interesting. So they have got some bite in New Zealand. They're definitely worth considering if you can't get a resolution with the bank. But I would say, look, again, people do make mistakes. Anytime that there's a complaint with us, I always deal with it. So we always just want to make sure that everyone can be as happy as possible. Let me tell you the story about those investors I work with who had a very unsatisfactory result with the bank. I won't name their bank in this instance, but they were a very big bank as well. And so essentially what happened is they applied for their investment loans. They got it all approved, came up for settlement, settled the loan. The loan was meant to be interest only. That's the structure form they signed. Went into the lawyer day before settlement, loans principal and interest. Anyway, they rang their broker. The broker said, oh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'll talk to the bank. Bank said, yeah, what's happened is we've changed our servicing criteria. You can't afford it on interest only now. You have to pay principal and interest. Ludicrous, right? Because it's more of a cash flow drain to pay P&I. But that's their rules. Anyway, the guys had no choice at this stage. They had to settle it. And so they'd basically just switched out the type of loan product and put undue pressure on them. Anyway, this became a real problem when they tried to complain to the bank and the bank kept dancing around accepting that it was a complaint. And so unfortunately for the bank, the wife in this situation, she is an ex-lawyer who dealt in banking <laughs> and, and so knew a thing or two about the process. And she, she kept saying, I want you to address my complaint. And they'd say things like, we are working on your issue. And she's like, I want you to acknowledge that this is a complaint. Anyway, finally... They managed, after being bounced around from manager to manager, took it to the ombudsman. The ombudsman got them a fantastic result. Now, they can't talk about what that result is, so I don't know what it is, but they were very, very happy when they were very, very unhappy in the past. And what's important to note, because we talked about ANZ for about seven minutes at the start of this, is we're not beating up on any specific bank. And in fact, if you look at the official stance from the banking ombudsman, if you compare the amount of assets that ANZ has in terms of its market share, which is about 39 odd percent, and compare it to the number of complaints that they have through the banking ombudsman, which is about, I think it was 22%-ish. You know, obviously they're a big bank, but they get a smaller share of complaints compared to their overall market share. So this ain't an ANZ beat up. It just so happens that they're the largest in the market, so we're talking about them. So hopefully this answers your question, gives you some ideas. If you are unhappy with the bank, feel free to complain, but address them directly first and be polite. I read a case the other day while I was on the banking ombudsman's website where a... Um, Your weekends are just getting more and more weird, buddy. Well, a customer rang up to complain to a bank. I can't remember which one it was. And he was so rude that they decided to cancel his bank accounts. He then complained to the banking ombudsman. They reviewed everything and said, no, that was a legitimate decision for the bank to make. So obviously, always be nice. You've got to catch more flies with honey than ointment. Vinegar, then vinegar. There's fly in the ointment and there's fly with honey and vinegar. Oh. You confuse your sayings. You're on the pig's back. <laughs> oh. Oh. My father's a rolling stone. Does that count? <laughs> 
Right, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to poor people. And Dave, if you want to grow your portfolio in 2022, your next step is to come in for a portfolio planning session. Easy way to find out more about that. Whip out your phone, send us a text, 5522 is the number. Text us the word plan. We'll give you a buzz, see if it's the right fit for you. Listen to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 